Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys Archive. This is Greg Young. Today we're up to episode number 87, The Kings of New York Pizza, a solo show that I recorded and released on July 17th, 2009. And as you'll hear, this proves to be a surprisingly interesting and rather complicated story. Well, stay tuned to the end of the show for some new information. A few things have changed in the world of pizza since I recorded the show in 2009. And in particular, the story of pizza down underneath the Brooklyn Bridge just got a little bit more complicated. The Bowery Boys, episode 87, Lombardi's and the birth of New York pizza. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young with another solo show and not only a solo show. Surprise, I'm doing another show relating to food. And I just wanted to let you know now that in all my long and arduous, difficult research this week, I gained about five pounds in the process. Because, yes, I am talking about pizza. In fact, the history of New York's favorite portable food, and in particular, New York-style pizza, which I'll describe in just a bit. In particular, I'm going to be mentioning six or seven of New York's most famous and oldest pizzerias, topped, of course, by the original and oldest pizzeria in the United States, Lombardi's, located downtown in Little Italy. Now, believe it or not, many of the greatest, oldest pizzerias in the cities actually have a connection to Lombardi's. But the world of New York pizza in general can sometimes be a very scary, very confusing place. For instance, I'll also try, emphasis on try, and tackle the question, who, who, dear listener, is the original Ray's Pizza? Now, this podcast is not an advertisement for any particular pizza pie. There are hundreds of places in New York to get great pizza. These just happen to be the city's most important contributors to the food that, frankly, most New Yorkers simply could not live without. I know I couldn't. I'll also just be focusing on places here in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. However, there are pizza places in the other boroughs that have been around for decades and also have a very rich history themselves. If you're interested in doing your own culinary research, I would definitely point you in the direction of the Italian neighborhoods of Ozone Park and Queens. And of course, what is probably the neighborhood in New York for pizzerias, Morris Park in the Bronx. But the genesis of all New York pizza at least as the story goes, begins in a tiny grocery store on Spring Street. First of all, I guess I should ask the question, what exactly is New York style pizza? Well, for those of you who have never had it, it is incredibly easy to spot. It's huge, it's thin, and compared to the certainly delicious styles of pizza popularized by other cities like Chicago and St. Louis, it's fairly simple with very few ingredients. Most notably, it's usually served by the slice, which you can eat on the go, and has a very distinctive hand-tossed crust, which some have actually attributed to the quality of New York drinking water used to make it, although I doubt that's ever really been proven. That's just a theory. 
Other kinds of pizzas might be thicker, but few of them are larger than a New York-style pizza. Ordering one New York-style pizza requires either a huge delivery box or an incredibly sturdy table, completely dwarfing your run-of-the-mill Domino's pizza. Today, you can get a New York-style pizza with vegetables, all variety of meats, little chicken squares, even controversially, ziti pasta that's baked on top of it. But the purist goes for the simple no-frills cheese and tomato variety. If grease is dripping off of it, then you know it's ready to eat. Now, the story of this extraordinary food begins in Manhattan's Little Italy, today just a sliver of an Italian neighborhood that has slowly been shrinking over the years. Today, it's almost entirely a tourist destination, an artifact of the days when this was the heart of Italian-American culture in New York. With the explosion of Italian immigration that started around the 1880s, huge numbers of Italians settled in this area. If you remember back in our old Five Points podcast, Italians took over housing here that had once been filled with Irish immigrants and then began dominating life along Mulberry Street and the neighborhoods both above and below Canal Street. By 1910, there would be almost half a million people of Italian origin living in the city. As some of these more loathsome tenements like Five Points were swept away by reform, the areas that would be called Little Italy and of course Chinatown right next to it would come into shape. Now, generally, we call this an Italian neighborhood, but actually it's a ton of smaller groups from various regions in Italy, mostly groups from the southern areas of Italy. You might have entire buildings of residents that were just from Sicily or from Genoa. And these enclaves would, of course, have their own cultural differences that would be completely different from each other. For the history of New York pizza, we need to turn to another one of these subgroups, Neapolitans, immigrants from the province of Naples, because this was the birthplace of pizza. Throughout the 19th century, pizza, as it were, was actually just a flatbread without toppings that could be very cheaply made and sold, a true modern food in the sense that it could be eaten on the go. And of course, as anyone who watches their weight knows full well, it's a great source of carbs. So this was very popular in Naples in this period of time. Now, as the legend goes, the queen of the kingdom of Italy, Queen Margarita, was enamored by this popular and unusual food, and in fact, a special pizza topped with red tomatoes, white mozzarella cheese, and green basil, the color of Italy, was made in her honor. And of course, we still celebrate this queen that most of us don't know anything about with the tradition of a margarita pizza. Now, by the way, the tomato, which is, of course, the key ingredient for a modern pizza, wasn't even a native plant of Europe. It came from South America and was transplanted to Europe by Spanish explorers in the 17th century. So as the story goes, this unusual usage of the tomato slathered deliciously over a flatbread and topped with other ingredients traveled back across the Atlantic via the new immigrant influx who then spread it to all the major cities in the United States. Now, one of these immigrants was a boy named Gennaro Lombardi, the 14-year-old son of a Neapolitan baker who began working at a grocery store at 53 Spring Street in 1897, and eventually he ended up owning the place. Lombardi soon found that his store needed to cater to the young men and women on their way to work in the morning, the people who made up the huge bulk of New York's lower-class laborers. While Lombardi's store was at first a shop that, of course, sold a variety of goods, like any grocery, it soon made sense to focus on cheap, ready-made, and easily transportable foods, I guess uh, an early variant of fast food, that customers could buy in the morning and take with them to work. You know, these were the days before, you know, lunch breaks and cafeterias. So Lombardi began selling his first pizza, or more appropriately, as they might have called them, tomato pies, using a hot coal fire stove and a recipe that had been passed down from his father and his father before him. 
Lombardi's at 53 Spring Street here would be open almost 24 hours, early morning to late at night. Customers would come in, they would order a pie, which would then be wrapped in paper and then tied with a string so that it could be eaten later. Of course, some people couldn't afford or wouldn't need a whole pie, so Lombardi's would begin selling just individual slices. He even treated the pizza a bit like you would if you were selling fabric, basically charging by the inch. For instance, instead of ordering a slice, you might fish in your pocket and find that you only had three cents, and then so you could just order three cents worth of pizza. An entire pie, by the way, in 1905, would have cost you five cents. So Lombardi sold these very early pizzas out of his grocery store, but the convenience and the taste of all these early slices, it became very popular. And so just a few years later, Lombardi abandoned his groceries, other sundries, and opened at the same location, what is now generally considered to be America's very first pizzeria in 1905. Lombardi's was always a grab-and-go type place until the early 1930s when they finally added tables and chairs for some sedentary dining and expanded the menu to include more familiar staples like spaghetti. His establishment always had a great reputation among the other Italian-Americans, but it wasn't until after World War II when pizza became a real mainstream meal. And it was then that Lombardi's began to be frequented by non-Italian New Yorkers and, just like it is today, tourists and people out of town. All the while, the restaurant stayed in the Lombardi family, passing on to his son, John Lombardi. Today, Lombardi's is partially owned by Gennaro's grandson, also named Gennaro, but it's no longer located in the same place. In 1984, Lombardi's Pizza closed, yet another victim of the crumbling fortunes of New York during the 1970s and 1980s. It wasn't until 10 years later in 1994 that Gennaro and a childhood friend reopened Lombardi's, but at its current location where it is today at 32 Spring Street. Although it does feel like it is over 100 years old if you do visit it, it no longer sells individual slices, which sets it apart from a tradition that it actually helped start. However, there are pictures and memorabilia all over the place, and the restaurant is still treated by foodies all over the world as the birthplace of American pizza. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. Now, Gennaro didn't always make his own pizza. He obviously had an entire kitchen crew who he would entrust with his family recipe. These men would be known as New York's master pizziolas. What's fabulous to learn about Lombardi's is not only did it create some of the rules for making pizza, 
but it spawned some of the biggest names in pizza making, many of whom would then branch out and start their own equally famous pizza restaurants here in New York. The first of these men was one Antonio Titano Perro, who was with Lombardi's at the very beginning. In fact, by some accounts, they were even friends back in Italy. And Antonio is often credited as the official godfather of pizza, perfecting the recipe and serving thousands of pies from the kitchen of Lombardi's. Many sources claim that it was actually Antonio's idea to make the pizzas, not Gennaro's. Regardless, the young Antonio would work at Lombardi's for almost two decades before eventually branching out on his own, and he would open his own pizzeria, which he called Titano's, in an area of the city that has traditionally been considered the hungriest for food on the go, Coney Island. The original Titano's at 1524 Neptune Avenue was opened in 1924 and quickly became as renowned as his last place of employment. It's been open since then, or rather it was, because unfortunately this spring, this restaurant was horribly gutted in a fire. But the family does intend to reopen this restaurant sometime this year, hopefully in the near future. If you're listening to this, it's already open and you can go out and visit it. But if you can't even wait for that, there are two newer locations of Titano's within the city. Now, the second significant former Lombardi's employee that we're talking about here was a man named John Sasso, who worked for Lombardi's in the early 1920 before he, too, decided to head out on his own. Despite the fact that he opened up his little pizza shop in 1929, the year of the Great Depression, not exactly a great year to open a small business, John's Pizzeria on Bleecker Street has still consistently been cranking out the most famous pizza in the West Village. The restaurant this year is celebrating its 80th anniversary. It, too, has a couple additional locations, including a very popular one in the theater district in midtown Manhattan. But perhaps the most intriguing spinoff of the Lombardi's pizza dynasty comes from a third employee, Pascali Lancieri, or Patsy, as he was known. An employee of Lombardi's for many years, Patsy decided to go uptown with his idea of a pizza restaurant, cooked up in 1933 with his wife Carmela as the neighborhood hangout Patsy's Pizzeria at 1st Avenue and 118th Street in East Harlem. Now, this area was a thriving Italian community back then, and their timing was, was rather exquisite in 1933 because not only were pizzas soon becoming mainstream, but also Italian celebrities like Dean Martin and Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra, well, they were also making it big. So combine all of that and you've got Patsy's. But which Patsy? Well, you see, there are many, many many patsies. There was a very confusing matter here, which I have to address right now when I'm talking about patsies. In 1944, 11 years after Patsy's Pizzeria opened in East Harlem, a second Patsy's, a Patsy's restaurant, opened in Midtown, which undisputably became a huge celebrity magnet and was one of the most popular places to hang out in Midtown. Now, this Patsy's did not sell pizza. It was just a regular Italian restaurant. However, it seems that both of these Patsy's were happened to be a favorite of Frank Sinatra. Frank would hang out at the Midtown Patsy's with his Rat Pack friends. He would also allegedly order pizzas from Patsy's Pizzeria all the time as well. So for decades, there's been two competing Patsy's. This confusion between Patsy's Restaurant and Patsy's Pizzeria was heightened when Patsy Lancieri's widow sold the Patsy's name to an outside group in 1991, who then proceeded to franchise it. 
So now there are several Patsy's pizzerias throughout town, ripping up the scab of this ancient rivalry between the two Patsy's. In fact, this has been such a bone of contention that Midtown Patsy's actually took East Harlem's Patsy's to court just last year to get them to change their name. Celebrities were even called to the stand to talk about the meals they had eaten at Patsy's, one or the other, decades before. Nobody, however, has yet to change their name. There's still Patsy's all over the place. Every place except one. There was yet another Patsy's Pizza right in the Fulton Ferry area of Brooklyn, right underneath the Brooklyn Bridge that was located at 19 Fulton Street. This Patsy's was owned by Patsy Grimaldi, who was actually a nephew of Patsy Lancieri, who learned to make pizza at his uncle's shop when he was around 10 years old. So then he eventually opened up his own Patsy's here in Brooklyn, right under the bridge. When the Manhattan Patsy's became a franchise, the name of this Brooklyn restaurant then was changed from the first name of the owner to the last, from Patsy's to Grimaldi's Pizza. Today, Grimaldi's Pizza is actually one of Brooklyn's biggest tourist attractions with lines down the block every day just to get a table. If you want to go to Grimaldi's, get there early, get there before you're even hungry because by the time you get inside, you'll have worked up an appetite. So to review here, Lombardi's begats Titano's, begats John's, and begats Patsy's, which is not that Patsy, but the other Patsy, except for that one Patsy in Brooklyn, which is now Grimaldi's. Got it? So if there's all these Patsy's and Lombardi's is the oldest pizza in town, why is it that the name that is most commonly associated with pizza in New York happens to be Ray? Everywhere you go in New York, you'll have some kind of Ray's pizza knockoff. Original Ray's, famous Ray's, original famous Ray's, famous original Ray's, Harlem's Ray's, and just and all sorts of variant versions. In fact, there are so many Ray's that there's even a place in Fort Greene, Brooklyn called Not Ray's Pizza. Now, the funny part about all of this, there may not actually even have been a Ray at all. The original Ray's, the actual first Ray, is most likely the one that had started up in 1959 in Little Italy at 27 Prince Street, not too far actually from Lombardi's. And it was started by a Ralph, not a Ray, a Ralph Cuomo, who thought that calling his restaurant Ralph's might have, in his own words, might have, quote, sounded maybe too feminine. So instead he took an Italian variation of Raphael, Rafi, and then shortened Rafi down to Ray's. In 1964, an original Ray's pizza opened up at 1st and 59th Street, this one by a man named Rosalino Magnano, and then proceeded to open a variety of original Ray's. Throughout the 70s and 80s, dozens of pizzerias opened with the name Ray in the title, and the plague soon spread outside the New York City metro area. In 1973, one Joseph Bari bought a pizzeria from Magnano and then proceeded to open several more, all under the name Ray Bari. There is no Ray Bari, but his family name is Bari, and that now mandatory Ray was affixed to the front of it. This mad tangle of Rays has also resulted in lawsuits that have obviously gone nowhere because you still have Rays pizzerias everywhere you turn. Last time I checked, there were at least 35 to 40 Rays in the New York City area. 
Next time you're in one, I defy you to walk inside and ask them if they know who Ray is. I bet you'll get a different story every single time. So for now, the mythical god of pizza in New York City is the unseeable, unknowable Ray. Well, I have worked up an appetite here talking about all this pizza. So I think I'm going to run out now and go get a bagel. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Um, BoweryBoysPodcast.com is our website, as you know. Check it out for stories tangentially related to this show and many, many that are not. I won't have a lot of pictures up relating to this particular show as there just aren't that many. You can also check us out on Facebook. Just type in Bowery Boys. We have a terrific episode coming up in the next couple of weeks. One of the most important buildings, probably not just in New York, but in the entire United States. So tune in in a couple of weeks for that one. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. hope that little run through of New York City pizza history got you a little bit hungry in time for dinner tonight. So just a couple updates to that story since I recorded it back in the summer of 2009. The good news is Tatano's Pizzeria is back in business on Coney Island after a devastating fire that closed the location in 2009. They also weathered a bit of damage during Hurricane Sandy, of course, like so many other businesses in Coney Island. They were actually closed for five months during the hurricane, but they're indeed back open now. The bad news, unfortunately, is that their two Manhattan locations closed down in 2011. So you'll just have to trek it out on the F train to Coney Island to get your slice of Brooklyn pizza history. Now we find some other big changes have arrived in another area of Brooklyn, underneath the Brooklyn Bridge in the Fulton Ferry area. Now let's go over this one more time. There is a Patsy's restaurant in Manhattan and a Patsy's Pizza, which originated in East Harlem. And there are presently three locations of Patsy's Pizzeria in Manhattan. Then, of course, on top of those Patsy's, there was a Grimaldi's Pizza here in Brooklyn opened by a Patsy Grimaldi. Now, what I didn't say in that show in 2009 was that Grimaldi actually sold his restaurant with his name on it to a man named Frank Scioli in 1998. And so it's him that operates Grimaldi's today. But then Patsy Grimaldi decided to reopen another pizzeria here in this area but he couldn't call it Patsy's and he couldn't call it Grimaldi's and, you know, those were his names. So the new restaurant is called Juliana's, named for Patsy's mother. This has caused a bit of a pizza war on Front Street as Juliana's now occupies the spot that the former Grimaldi's used to sit at, at 19 Old Fulton Street. The current Grimaldi's sits at 1 Front Street. There's definitely still a fraught rivalry between these two businesses, but that just means that you'll have to visit both places and compare their pizza slices for yourself. Now, since I recorded this show, I got a great many emails from people sharing their favorite pizza spots in New York City. Traditional places like DeFara's in Brooklyn, 
Louis and Ernie's in the Bronx, Joe and Pat's Pizzeria in Staten Island, and funkier places like Two Boots Pizza and Artichoke Pizza. But there is one big pizza chain that I bet you didn't realize had roots in New York City. Sabaro's Pizza. That's right, the fixture of shopping malls and roadside traffic stops across the nation. They, in fact, have six locations currently in the New York City area and over 800 restaurants in 33 countries, according to their website. In many of these countries, Sabaro is most likely introducing the actual concept of pizza, much less its modified New York style offering. The original Sabaros was started up by a Neapolitan named Gennaro, the highly alliterative Gennaro Sabaro, to be exact, with his wife Carmela and their three sons. Now, like Gennaro Lombardi of famous Lombardi's Pizza, the Sabaros didn't start off selling pizza either. Their original Salamiria, their original Salamiria, or Delicatessen, in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, was located at 1701 65th Street and 17th Avenue and served the usual Italian-style deli fare, eventually incorporating pasta and pizza onto the menu and sit-down service alongside it. The similarities to Lombardi's, however, stops there. The Sabaros had a mind to expand, keeping a tight rein on their operations as they opened 14 additional New York locations well into the 1970s, with all the food made at the original Bensonhurst location. Carmela even continued to personally make the cheesecake. They could have been content to stop right there, but keep in mind that in the 1970s was the age of the shopping mall, and the lure of the food court greatly appealed to the Sabaros. Their first experimental pizza outlet was at King's Plaza Mall in Marine Park. It was here that Sabaros became a counter fast food restaurant, shedding its Salamiria image for a bright uniform place with a set menu of popular Italian standards. Needless to say, it was a successful experiment incorporating the family business in 1977 and opening the brand up for potential franchises. The Sabaro Sons took their restaurant chain national by the 1980s after their father's death and rolled it out to international locales by the 1990s. The original Bensonhurst Sabaros was closed several years ago, and it's certainly difficult to find the inherent Brooklyn-ness inside your standard-issue Sabaros restaurant today. But if you look closely, you might find some dusty, fake-looking meats hanging in the window, hearkening back to its early Bensonhurst roots. It's definitely the closest you're ever going to get New York-style pizza in, say, Salt Lake City or even Kazakhstan. But wherever you get your pizza, from your local 99-cent corner joint to one of those fancy hoity-toity pizza places up on the Upper East Side, we're proud of our pizza here in New York City by the slice or by the pie. So thank you very much for listening to this show in the Bowery Boys archive. You can check out our regular podcast in the regular Bowery Boys feed. Just go to wherever you found this show and type in Bowery Boys to check out our latest episodes. So have a great New York week, whether you live here or not.